everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we are here today to talk to you about the things you should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we just go off on random tangents, too, because we are the poster children of ADHD. What? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention to you. What? Where are we? What are we doing again? <laughs> um, we're not making fun of people with ADHD. I love my Adderall. <laughs> I legitimately have ADHD. <laughs> and I was never diagnosed with anything, but yeah, probably. I actually was one of like those supposedly rare people with adult onset. I had like this intense attention span as a kid. You knew me back then. Oh, it was frightening. She would listen to you when you talked. It was weird. But as an adult, I had a couple of head injuries and my brain changed. So yeah, if you go, if you feel like you have symptoms of ADHD and are an adult and your doctor says, that's not real as an adult, you can only get diagnosed as a kid. Find a different doctor. Your doctor sucks. Yes. Well, we've, this week has been significantly less depressing than previous weeks. It has. There's been, you know, some horrible shit said, like that Tulsa ch- police chief being like, we should just shot more black people. But it actually, we're seeing a lot of, uh, positive results from all the protests we're seeing places change policies and even here in kansas city they're looking at changing the name of jc nichols fountain yeah um for those of you who don't know jc nichols was a real estate developer who um invented kind of the outdoor mall plaza thing and also uh, made segregation like something to do with housing too like all of the like black people aren't allowed to buy houses here and redlining and all of that stuff he invented it yeah, basically the entire, when you look at like things to do in Kansas City when you're traveling here, they'll say, go to the J.C. Nichols Plaza. That's named after a segregationist. Yes. So I, I hope they actually follow through. I hope they do change the name of that fountain. I hate fountains. Like, it's one of my weird things. I know. It's like, it's like Kansas City is famous for two things, fountains and barbecue. And you hate fountains. I hit my head inside of that fountain once too. That was not one of my- How did you hit your head inside of the fountain? Austin is my second husband, and my we did our engagement photos or, or something. I can't remember if it was the engagement photos or something else, but we did photos, and there wasn't water in the fountain, so we got inside, and I immediately smacked my head on one of the horses. What? We did much safer practices for our photos. Yeah, we went to uh, the Nelson Atkins Art Museum. Where rumor has it the director kicked the police off. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Okay, one time it was for a friend's wedding where I was a groomsman, and we went there for photos, and there was a bunch of people, like, dressed as zombies, like, wandering around, and we got wedding photos with the zombies. That's amazing. Yeah. We should get married again just to have zombies at it. We actually had a discussion of getting married again just so we could convince people to spend their stimulus checks on buying us presents. Yep, we were like, let's go and move and start over and then get married and make people come for our wedding and give us presents. But then we realized that that would take too long to get people to like like us enough to buy us wedding presents. Yeah, we're we're not, we don't make friends easily enough for this to be profitable. I haven't left the house in almost two months. I've been going back to work, but like I also don't talk to anybody at work. <laughs> In fairness, you work with literally four people. I work with four people, one of whom has just retired. The other, and um, we're, we've got our schedules staggered, so one person's out of the office working at home at all times. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually only working with two people. Yeah, it's we're starting to see the new COVID wave come through, and it's going to be interesting to see how things play out in the next couple of weeks, because we did, I think Monday is the official like next stage reopening, right when we're seeing the effects of both Memorial Day weekend and the beginning of the effects of the protests. 
Yeah, we've had what, triple digit rises every day for the last few days. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, we are still considered one of the lower new instances states. I actually literally looked at a map of it right before we started. But that's so far. So far. We had protesters who were, you know, trying to social distance and then were not able to. Yeah. But most of them were wearing masks. And it's actually, I mean, there was a, in Springfield, Missouri, they had some hairstylists who were symptomatic COVID sufferers. But because they and their patrons both had to wear masks, there have so far been no new cases linked to those two. So wear a mask. Mm Mm-hmm. Just see what the WHO says, then ignore it and wear a mask because the CDC wants you to and they actually know what they're talking about. Yeah, that was a weird comment. Like, uh-huh. Granted, there have been some like rogue WHO people lately who I think are probably not actually members of the WHO and are just claiming it and nobody's getting caught on yet. Maybe. So who goes first this I week? I can go first this week. Alrighty. So what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about something we definitely didn't learn in school. I actually didn't learn it until I was about this even existing until I was out of college. Okay. We're going to talk about Juneteenth. There's actually, we retweeted a tweet about this uh, yesterday from the time we're recording anyway, that we didn't learn about this as students, whether in high school or college, we were basically told that slavery ended. The end. Yeah, that was exactly what we were told. And it was, we didn't learn about it. Like, again, I was like 27 or 28. And it was just like, what what are you talking about with this? And I had to look it up on Wikipedia. (laughs) Yeah, a couple years ago, it suddenly was all over my Facebook. And that's how I learned about it, which was, it's so weird. I've been on Facebook since it started, more or less. And it had never been trending on Facebook or Twitter until a couple years ago. It's because um, a couple of TV shows actually did episodes about Juneteenth, Atlanta and Blackish. Okay. And that kind of put it in the spotlight for clueless white people like us. Mm-hmm. So before I can even get started on Juneteenth, I need to talk about the Emancipation Proclamation. The thing that Abraham Lincoln completely did because he wanted to end slavery from the moment he was born. Yeah. No, it was what we learned was Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, and all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states and hence... and. Are and henceforth shall be free. Wait a second, wait a second. In the rebellious states? Yes. So he only freed southern slaves. Yes, he did. Because there were still northern slaves at this point, weren't there? There were still northern slaves at this point. Interesting. And it's like, we we learned it. Cool. All the slaves were freed at that moment, and it was over. Slavery was done. But it wasn't. No, I actually, I think I even asked my teacher about that because we didn't have email back then, and it would take weeks at least for, for news to get from the D.C. area to the western parts of the country. Oh, it took more than weeks, actually. Mm-hmm. But we're going to keep going on about the Emancipation Proclamation. Also, um, we learned almost nothing about this, but by God, how many weeks did you spend learning about Gettysburg? Because that's all I think I ever learned about with the Civil War. Um, At least a week learning about Gettysburg, yes, because it was the only battle, right? Yeah, the only battle. It was barely mentioned that, I, if I remember right, the first battle was in Kansas. Yeah, we were fighting it in Kansas way before it started. We were like the hipsters of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Or I guess abolition? I don't know. But it is it is much more complicated than we were led to believe in school. I've actually been to Gettysburg. It was fascinating. Yeah. But so the Emancipation Proclamation, um, firstly, as Maddie pointed out, it did not free all of the slaves. Union-supporting slave states like Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri were not included, and that's about half a million enslaved people that were just wait 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 kentucky was in the north kentucky was in the north for all intents and purposes i don't think i remember that and yet they're all like our history here's my confederate flag yeah i know it's like they clearly didn't learn any of their history 
It also didn't emancipate all enslaved people in Union-controlled parts of the Confederacy. It clarified the, the status of contraband slaves that were seized as property by the Union Army and officially freed them. Mm-hmm. Because all of the constitutional cases around slavery had decided that this this is they are property, so the army just seized them, and then finally, with the Emancipation Proclamation, they were officially freed. Mm-hmm. So it did do that, but it also excluded big parts of the Confederacy under Union control, like Tennessee, which was mostly under Union control and compliant with the Union at this point, was excluded. Uh, parts of Virginia and West Virginia, which was trying to become a state at that time, was excluded. And also chunks of Louisiana that were under Union control were excluded from the Emancipation Proclamation. I knew literally none of this. I don't even remember. I mean, we must, I'm sure we read the Emancipation Proclamation, but they never once pointed out the rebellious states line. Yeah, that was... It's it's in the line. It's right there. I can't. I don't think I've read the Emancipation Proclamation since eighth grade, so I had no idea that line was in there. Yeah, and it was partly because this the entire Emancipation Proclamation, even though it did end slavery in big parts of the country and it freed millions of people, its real goals were not so much to free people. It was to end the war and get the rebellious states back in the Union. That was the entire goal. The freeing of slaves was a byproduct of this. Yeah. Lincoln actually warned he was going to issue the Emancipation Proclamation months before he actually issued it. It was because it was an ultimatum to the rebellious states. Like, hey, we're going to free all of the slaves unless you come back to the Union. So we're going to do this. You better end this now. He's just trying to end the war with this ultimatum. It didn't work. So he issued it and freed all freed everybody. But... So you're saying he wouldn't have issued it if they had agreed to rejoin the Union. Yeah. If they had agreed to rejoin the Union, he would not have issued it. Because Abraham Lincoln, even though he was morally against slavery, it was enshrined in the Constitution and he wanted to go about a more gradual, legal way of ending it. He was, the abolitionists didn't like him because he was going way too slowly for them. And he didn't like the abolitionists because they were radical and would just, so not Abraham Lincoln, not an abolitionist. It was also about hurting the Confederacy in other ways because their food, clothing, a lot of stuff was done by slave labor. Uh-huh. And if slaves were freed or they heard that they were freed and they could just make it to the Union lines and they would be free people, it would disrupt the Southern economy and also end the war that much sooner. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when people say that it was really about protecting the Southern way of life, not about slavery, they're neglecting the idea that the entire Southern way of life was built on the back of enslaved peoples. Yes, it was. It, it also was a way to keep France and England from joining the Civil War and siding with the Confederacy. Not because England and France were in, in favor of, of slavery. They were actually both very against slavery. But they wanted to have like a foothold in the Western Hemisphere, and they viewed the Confederacy as a way of doing that. But when Abraham Lincoln issued this proclamation, he made it very clear that this war, even though it was unspokenly about slavery, very much about slavery, it made England and France back off and decide not to help the Confederacy. It was a factor in that. Were they looking at the Confederacy because they thought the Confederacy was likely to win? No, they uh, they thought, well, if we back them, they'll owe us and we can have more power in the Western Hemisphere. Basically, yeah. But why would the Union not have owed them? I don't know. I think England was in on it because like, oh, oh, hold on. You have people rebelling against you now? Hilarious. Yeah, no, I get that with England, but like France was on our side, I think, mm-hmm. during the revolution. Yeah, international politics. They wanted 
They wanted more influence in the Western Hemisphere. Of course, it could be because we refused to help them after promising to help them when they helped us in the revolution. Yep. So, so yeah. yet don't go back on your promises, bros, because eventually they'll be like, hey, remember that time? Yeah. And that was that. Was that. With the, you know, the foreign, after this, because France and England were very much against slavery, like, they could not even consider supporting the Confederacy after that because it's like, oh, you're supporting slavery and it would have been political suicide for every politician in those countries. Although it is important to note that throughout history, basically every country or what became a country has participated in slavery at some point. Usually, not usually, but often white people enslaving non-white people. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, France and England had owned slaves and done all of this, but with the French Revolution, the French were, became very much against it. And just England, there was gradual political pressure on them that ended it over time. Yeah, we just never learned that countries other than us and Egypt had slavery. And mm-hmm. it's it's worldwide. It was worldwide. It is worldwide still. Yeah, it is. So, anywho. Hooray! Exciting! Happy topic! The proclamation did immediately free thousands of slaves, though. Booker T. Washington, who was nine when he was freed, said this. As the great day grew nearer, there was more singing in the slave quarters than usual. It was bolder and had more ring and lasted later into the night. Most of the verses of the plantation songs had some reference to freedom. Some man who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and then read a rather long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation, I think. After the reading, we were told that we were all free and could go where, when and where we pleased. My mother who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children while tears of joy ran, ran down her cheeks. She explained to us what it all meant, that this is the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing she would never live to see. Plantation owners did try to keep the news quiet, but it spread by rapidly by word of mouth. Oh, yeah. It caused the chaos. They wanted people were they were escaping. There was disruptions. People were running away. It was just not a good time. And they lost basically all of their workers. So that means they could have fewer soldiers in the field because they would need people to grow food and stuff or else everyone would starve to death. Mm-hmm. So it did have its goal. And also the now, the now freed enslaved people would actually send messengers around to all different plantations to make sure everybody was aware of the Emancipation Proclamation. So they're even sending out messengers trying to get this word out and trying to get to their freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert E. Lee, who for some god-awful reason still has high schools named after him. Yeah, I went to a job interview in a district that had a Robert E. Lee high school. And so she was going over all the high schools and she got to that one. She stopped, she looked at me and she went, really? <laughs> so it was very clear that like, I didn't react. I was just listening because I am I knew where I was interviewing. And you could tell it was very much a, yes, we yep. still do this. We still and do this. Yeah, we probably should. Now, just, I can imagining this old blowhard fanning himself while he was writing this. It was in view of the vast increases of the forces of the enemy, of the savage and brutal policy he has proclaimed, which leaves us no alternative but success or destruction worse than death. If we would save the honor of families from popular he goes on like this for forever mm-hmm. but it boils down to hey you need to send more troops the uh the former slaves are now fighting with the union he did not receive more troops and it went on for paragraphs and yeah. it was again we named high schools after this guy i bet they don't have much in the way of public speaking classes probably not <laughs> yep uh great however ulysses s grant said in far fewer words that it was the heaviest blow to the confederacy yet 
So Lincoln did view the Emancipation Proclamation as one of his crowning achievements in in the presidency. Mm-hmm. So, and also, even though he had at points in his political career been against equal, even equal rights for freed slaves or black people, and actually for a big part of it, he just wanted them to immigrate out of America once they were free. To where? Liberia. Was he planning on paying for this? Oh no, he just wanted them. He wanted them gone. He did start to change his mind later in his life. In his last speech, he wanted um, freed slaves who had assisted the Union War effort to be granted suffrage. The right to vote. Wow. But that was in his last speech before he got killed. We never learned that either. Yeah. We don't learn a lot about him. No, we learned that there was a log cabin and that he freed slaves. And then he got shot. But we they don't even talk about the fact that he was shot by an actor. Yeah. It'd be like if George Clooney had killed Trump. It's like that was that level of celebrity killing the president. Yeah, it's actually... That whole story is really interesting. I've, I've considered doing him as a topic, but the whole thing was so theatrical. There's like a leap and a speech and it's it's bananas. So now, finally, we can get started on Juneteenth. Yes. Because we needed a little bit of background. So on July 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the war was mostly over. Uh, Lee had surrendered on April 19th, and the army of the Trans-Mississippi surrendered on June 2nd. So the armies had finally started surrendering. The war was wrapping up. Uh, and on the 18th of June, General Gordon Granger arrived on Galveston, Texas, to occupy the state of Texas on behalf of the federal government with 2,000 troops. He went to the southernmost part of Texas. Arrived by boat. To occupy a giant-ass state. He didn't even go for Central Texas? Why would you go to Central Texas? There's nothing in Central Texas. I mean, at least you have a central location if you're trying to occupy a state. Yeah, it was it was a good spot for them. It was by the water. Really pretty beaches. Nice beaches. I mean, okay, if you are going to be occupying Texas on behalf of the federal government, where would you rather be? Dallas, Fort Worth, or Galveston? I've actually been considering going to Galveston for a couple of years just so yeah. I can sit on a beach that seems like it's quieter than Florida or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I think they made the right choice there. And oh, also a little bit more information about June, uh, Juneteenth. It takes place on June 19th. It's a portmanteau of June 19th, Juneteenth. Uh, it also is known as Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, and I did not make up this pun. Don't make that face at me. You're about to make it me. Cell Liberation Day. That's actually clever. It's very clever. I didn't think of that pun. Um, and then on on June 19th, Granger read General Order Number 3. The people of Texas are informed that in, accord- in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of proper be- property between former masters and slaves. The connection heretofore existing between them becomes that of employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly in their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. So they were basically told you have to stay where you are. So these guys really weren't freed like they had been in other places. They were free. They could leave. But they were advising them like, hey. Stay where you are and work for wages. Hmm. They would have to pay you now. Why did it take two and a half years? Well, no one really knows for sure. It was uh, the reasons that are popularly cited are Texas was kind of remote at the time. And it was far enough away from like the battlefields of the Civil War that news just never made it out to them in large enough numbers for it to be widely known. Um, That the messenger 
who was sent to tell Texas about the Emancipation Proclamation, had died or was killed before he could make it and tell everybody, that the owners had known about it and just kept it secret. Oh, they absolutely they knew absolutely about it. They absolutely did. And they had tried to in other parts of the country and it didn't work. Or, this is the one I don't agree with, but it's, sorry to say, that the federal government delayed it long enough so that they could get one more cotton harvest in before freeing all of the slaves. I could see it, though. Yeah, except this Are was- we talking about the national government or the Texas government? National government. I will point out this was in June. I don't think they're harvesting cotton until much later in the summer. I don't know anything about cotton. I think it's like an August one. I'm not certain. I don't know. But yeah. We don't know why, but the news about the Emancipation Proclamation didn't reach the general population of Texas. And this was the last place it had to reach. Everywhere, everywhere else knew. Yep, everywhere else knew it finally made it to Texas. And that information was absolutely known by the white people in Texas. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, if if, uh, soldiers had to return home from other places... They, or or newspapers were... come from places, or letters come from places, or just mm-hmm. people traveling. There was telegraphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they knew. The now freed slaves immediately celebrated. Uh, the reports of people tearing off their clothes and throwing their rags in creeks and rivers to dress as they wanted to in clothing they had taken from their former masters. I love it. I love it. It's uh, like it's like Dobby. Yep. They cooked special meals. They made like they like lamb, chicken, beef, like all of the stuff they didn't normally eat because, you know, they weren't given good food. They cooked it all and had big cookouts of all of their best food. Mm-hmm. They'd sing, they'd dance, they partied into the night. It was a big celebration of freedom. Mm-hmm. And that was real the first June the first Juneteenth was this. But it was also not the end of slavery in America. Of course. Slavery would not officially end until the 13th Amendment was ratified by the states on December 6th, 1865. So it was a few months early. But for all of you pedantic history people out there, it you can still celebrate it as the traditional end of slavery in Texas. So the Emancipation Proclamation didn't end slavery, the 13th Amendment did? 13th Amendment did. And it took three years-ish after he made the proclamation yep. to actually end it, which goes... Uh, contrary to what we were taught in school, which is that the proclamation ended it. Proclamation helped end it, but really it was the 13th Amendment that ended it officially in America. Okay. Yep, they had to amend the Constitution, get rid of that three-fifths compromise bullshit. Uh, celebrations have declined and like gone up over the years. Um, there was like times like during the Reconstruction and Jim Crow where it was like very few people celebrated only in parts of Texas where they weren't allowed to celebrate it in public parks. Oh no, that like, because those were segregated and they didn't want them celebrating. Well, and also like Jim Crow era, it was unsafe to celebrate anything, especially that related to your to mm-hmm. your race. But um, because they were, ba- it was banned from public. They were banned from public parks. They brought their own property to celebrate, including places like Emancipation Park in Austin, (laughs) Texas. Uh Uh-huh. And it's, again, as time went on, people would leave Texas and go to other parts of the world, and they'd continue this celebration. Mm -hmm. And it has spread throughout most of America at this point. Um, Yeah, yeah, they've been gatherings to discuss issues of the time, like, you know, inform people about what was going on with segregation and how to rally and, like, what to do, who to contact, about how to register to vote. There have been speakers, and there's uh, things about self-improvement, songs, spiritual meetings, uh, they've also had barbecues, which have become more and more central to it, is people are gathering around the barbecue and eating lots of food with family and friends in a celebration. And they also do fun stuff, like play baseball games, hold rodeos, go fishing, hold prayer services. They have readings from works of 
black authors like Ralph Ellison and Maya Angelou. They also uh, sing traditional songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Mm -hmm. And uh, it normally includes readings of General Order Number 3 and of the Emancipation Proclamation. Also, I couldn't find out why specifically, but strawberry soda has become sort of the unofficial official drink of Juneteenth, and I couldn't find out why. I just Hmm. saw it mentioned several places. Interesting. So, I'd fr- I loved strawberry soda as a kid. I kind of want some now. I I think I've had it. I'm I'm betting like much like um, all the things I liked as a kid. It is now disgustingly sweet, and I would die drinking it. <laughs> then we go on to like official recognitions. Texas was actually the first state to declare Juneteenth a holiday. Wow. It was like people like it was just a recognized holiday. It wasn't something that everyone got the day off of, but you could you could ask for it off, and it was the state recognized that this was a day people celebrated. Mm-hmm. They recognized it in 1980 and in the 90s and 2000s most other states declared it a holiday as well with most recently montana declaring it a holiday in 2017 i don't know that i've until very recently seen it on a calendar yeah well i'm gonna get to that currently only three states do not recognize juneteenth are we one of them oh no we we recognized it in 2007 okay um but it's not the three states you would guess they are north dakota south dakota and Hawaii. I was actually going to guess Hawaii. Yeah. So uh, they, uh, these are the only st- three states that currently don't recognize it. But I mean, they're all your boss in Hawaii is probably not going to stop you from celebrating it either. No. Also, Nike, the NFL, and most recently Twitter have Juneteenth as official work holidays that everybody gets off. Wow. Yep. Uh, Apple put Juneteenth on the iOS calendar in 2018. Mm-hmm. And the New York Times gave all employees one more day off a year, but encourages them to take it off on June 19th. Okay. So that is a brief history of Juneteenth and the Emancipation Proclamation. All right. Yeah, we definitely should have learned about that in school. Like, history uh, is written by the victors, like we have said many, many times on this show. And it makes us, meaning white people, look and feel a lot better if we tell children white children, that this one speech fixed everything and everyone was fine. Yeah. The idea that it could take two and a half years, which is a lifetime to a young person, mm-hmm. or during a quarantine, but especially to a young person, it the idea of that is just unfathomable. Can you imagine the reaction a class would have to that? It would... I would be, I would have been shocked as a kid. It's like, yeah, they're free, but not everywhere. And it took a long time for it to be applied. It's like, oh. Yeah. And this is, this goes beyond what we've talked about before, where they just try to not overcomplicate things. This goes beyond that. Yeah. This is definitely, we want you to be comfortable with like, well, everything. It's important to know not every slave was included in this. And it's important to know not every person was told for Two and a half years that this was going on. And of course, that's not complicated. It's not complicated to say that they only were talking about people who hadn't helped the union, or it's not complicated to say it took two and a half years for this information to get here. All the details may be a little complicated, especially if you're trying to teach this in fifth grade, but yeah. there's no excuse to not teach it. None at all. Other than if your boss tells you you'll be fired if you do. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good excuse, but that's you can you can sneak stuff in in other ways. Yes, like maybe like when it maybe when it maybe at, maybe let that kid who asks lots of questions like the Maddie of your class actually answer her. <sighs> yeah, um, or say you know what you have an iPad in front of you. I think this is a good opportunity for you to look something up. That way you're not the one teaching it. But it's like I don't. 
maybe like you have the iPad, go ahead and look that up while I continue, then share with us what you find. That way you have plausible deniability. Yes, always go with plausible deniability. So, are you ready for some questions? Yes. Okay, will the fact that Juneteenth is celebrated on June 19th as the traditional end of slavery in Texas be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that that was not the actual end of slavery be on the test? No. Will the fact that the Emancipation Proclamation excluded uh, states such as Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri be on the test? In a world where we're teaching Juneteenth in class, that would absolutely have to be on the test. But no. no. Will the fact that South Dakota does not recognize Juneteenth be on the test? They've got a giant sculpture of Lincoln. When I'm naming all 50 states, that's one of the ones I almost always forget. So maybe they forget stuff too. Maybe they forget stuff too. And will the fact that the NFL, Nike, the New York Times, and Twitter all recognize uh, give give their employees Juneteenth off be on the test? The NFL has gotten really interesting lately, hasn't it? Dude, it's like the NFL and NASCAR are like, I am shocked by what's going on with NASCAR. I'm actually going to say no on this one. I don't think that will be on the test. See, I kind of thought it would be because we all have to pay homage to our corporate overlords. Well, here's the thing. A lot of school districts, especially in the Northeast, go until the end of June. So why don't we get that day off? Oh, man, that's going to be... Especially if you're teaching in a school that is predominantly non-white or a school district that is predominantly non-white. Why do they have to go to school that day when the NFL doesn't have to play that day? Yeah, well, it's, it's off-season anyway. Well, but other employees. Nike yeah. Or yeah, Twitter. Nike and Twitter. So yeah, that was my questions. All right. Yeah, that was, I gather, like a pretty basic overview of a whole That was thing. And very basic overview. If you want to know more, um, there's actually Juneteenth.com. We'll go not only in-depth into the history. As we've mentioned before, we are very, very white people who are learning a lot of things for the first time. If you are a black person, you probably have a lot more of a frame of reference on this than us and this episode is not teaching you anything new. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, and it, but we're hoping that by bringing stuff like this up, hopefully we're taking a little bit of the emotional and mental burden away from people who are constantly saying, explain your culture, explain your culture. It's like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so, but we are not trying to educate them, educate this people about this from any sort of expertise. We're just doing it from, you know, this is what we've learned. Yeah. So yeah, I learned, I learned stuff. This is like two weeks in a row where I've learned stuff. I'm getting tired mm-hmm. of learning stuff. I'm talking about Bigfoot next week. Well, you're probably about to learn some stuff from me too. Ooh, I'm going to learn stuff? I thought you just said you didn't want to learn more stuff. Well, I don't want, I don't want to learn stuff, but I want to, like, on my own. I just want you to tell me stuff. Okay. Well, my sources, at least you named Juneteenth. Dot, was it dot .com or dot .org? Dot .com. Juneteenth.com. At least you had that. My sources are MediumParents.com, Science Daily, Wikipedia, The Recovery Village, Very Well Mind, and PubMed.gov, which sounds like a joke site, like, you know, where we drink and talk about medicine, but it actually is like medical publication is what it means. I am here today to talk about fear versus phobia. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. even, I was not aware there was a difference. There is a pretty big difference. Okay. First thing to know, we are all born afraid. Yes. Isn't that nice? I mean, yeah, it's, of course you're, you're born afraid. You're like, everything is bright and colorful. You get slapped. <laughs> I don't think they do the slapping anymore. I'm pretty sure they do the slapping. I'm pretty sure they do the slapping. Yeah. So basically like, you know, you're in this nice warm bubble for nine and a half ish months. 
And then all of a sudden you're coming into the world. The voice that has soothed you for nine months is screaming, fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck. You got tongs around you. It's a whole thing. There actually isn't any evidence to speak of that this is especially traumatic for infants. That's not the case for the mothers necessarily. But infants, it's just kind of a whoa moment that... Actually, I, I did learn that apparently um, new mothers release a hormone in their body that helps them forget the pain and trauma yes. of childbirth. Yes, that's true. That's, uh, it's to make sure that we continue to birth. So yeah, it's probably not dramatic, particularly traumatic for them after a while. Well, it depends on the circumstance. There's a whole issue about doctoral abuse during childbirth. Like you said you didn't want an episiotomy and they give you one anyway without your consent, things like that. Uh. Episiotomy is, uh, if you don't know, is where they split your vaginal opening to make it easier to get the baby out. But it's actually medically unnecessary in most cases. They're like, well, we didn't want you to tear. There is no difference between what you did and tearing. And tearing is not that common or at least major tearing. Come on. Anyway. No, there's actually, there is... There are isolated cases where the birth itself is traumatic for the infant beyond physical injuries, but it's very rare. This is not the source of phobias. Okay. However, we do know that fears begin way younger than we may think. People are born with nervous systems that can't really understand most sensory input. So everything that happens to you is brand new and seems extreme. So nearly from birth, babies are afraid of two specific things loud noises, and falling or being dropped. So think about the fact that for nine and a half months, you've been basically wearing noise-canceling headphones. You know that noise-canceling headphones don't block out all noise, but everything's kind of muffled and not that bad. So every noise, even quiet ones, are, are, sound like yelling to them, and then loud ones sound like horror the movies screaming. The end of the world. Yes. So they do learn to adjust to noises, noises that are common in their house. They'd stop scaring them pretty quickly until there's a loud and unexpected one, even one they've heard before, like a doorbell. Their memories aren't that long yet. So that's a loud, scary noise. They hear a drop, a glass broken. That's a loud, scary noise. Noises wake babies up, not because babies are necessarily like light sleepers, but because the noise sounds louder to them than it would to us. So, I mean, we can sleep through our cats jumping on us at night because we're you, used to it. You can. Um, they still wake me up. You've morning. woken up with Fezzik on you without realizing it. And he weighs yeah. 20 pounds. Oh, God, he's such a chunk. It's like, so but once you get used to things, they don't wake you up anymore. Babies are used to nothing. Babies also can't tell the difference between falling and being lowered. That's why when you watch people lower their babies, they're doing it so slowly. It's instinctual for adults as well to do it slowly. So your baby like could be totally chilled out and even asleep. But if you put them down even a little too quickly, they suddenly start screaming because they think they're being dropped. Um, and how is that helpful? It's like, oh, no, I'm being dropped. I should scream. It's alerting anybody who might be near you that you are in danger. Okay. It's a, it's a fear response to what could be a danger. So I think about it if we're talking about 200,000 years of human history-ish. 200,000 years ago, your caregiver is hit in the head by a rock and falls and drops you. You start screaming so that someone else can come save you. But then you get eaten by a Tyrannosaurus. Possibly, yes. Except for the fact that I don't think we had a whole lot of overlap with them. I I would... I can't remember where we overlapped with all of that. We, um, I know we coexisted with m mammoths. Yeah, um, I think Tyrannosauruses were extinct tens of millions of years before people showed up. Something like that. Then we get to around eight to ten months old, when babies start to develop a sense of object permanence, which is way earlier than I thought. Wow. Eight to ten months, you start to develop a sense of object permanence. So prior to that, 
when you would leave a room or they would wake up and you aren't there, they aren't crying because they want you. They're crying because they don't, uh, because something startled them or because they're hungry or whatever, and their food source and source of warmth and protection is gone. (laughs) They don't view you as an entity that provides love. You are the machine that provides the food and 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 the warmth. So basically, you are both the refrigerator and the toaster oven. Yes. So it's uh, at that age, you're not there. Therefore, you are never coming back. Therefore, they are going to die out in the wilderness if something doesn't come save them. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just like our cats. Mm -hmm. So about this age, lost my spot. Oh, this is also the age where kids start to develop a fear of strangers. So this person is not mom or dad. And mom and dad are the only people who exist. And they are my guaranteed sources of food and comfort. This stranger is here to kill me. This sounds like basically all of our friends on Facebook. It's like, stranger, they're going to kill me. Or all of next door. It's like, new car, they've come to kill us all. Oh yeah, my God. There's a van in the neighborhood. Yeah, it literally says Amazon on the side. So chill the fuck out. There's an Enterprise rental van that's been driving up and down the street. They're delivering Amazon packages. Mm Mm-hmm. Karen. There's a FedEx truck and I think it's filled with bodies. So there's a new car in my neighbor's driveway. I think they're being murdered. Oh, never mind. They just bought a new car. Why are we suddenly Minnesotan? I don't know. You started it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you started it. Uh... <laughs> so this is why, though, peekaboo is actually really important to development. Because it shows them that objects can go away, but it doesn't mean they're gone. <gasps> Like, the one thing I can do with children is actually necessary for development. Only at about this age, though, because when I was, like, two, people would play peekaboo with me, and I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? I know that you didn't disappear. This is not fun for me. And I would play along because I thought it was fun for the grown-ups. I assumed that it was entertaining the grown-ups for me to pretend to be surprised. So, on our second date, when I was going peekaboo at the restaurant, you were only pretending to think that was hilarious? I mean, honestly, I found it was a little creepy because you were doing it to the waitress. (laughs) me. <laughs> As we age, our fears change. When we start to develop imagination, which is around age two, we become afraid of the dark and of the things that are definitely under our bed or in our closet. I actually originally started this episode, this line of research because I wanted to know, why are we afraid of monsters specifically? Fear of the dark and monsters under the bed are, and in the closet are not just common, but they are evidence that a child is development, developing normally if it happens around age two. Now remember, developmental milestones are not universal. If your kid is 18 months and starts to develop, you're fine. If your kid is two and a half and starts to develop, you're probably fine. You need to see a mixture of developmental issues or have extensive ones that you're like, whoa, what the hell, before you need to worry. Kids develop at their own rates. There are two primary theories about why kids have these fears, and there is some overlap between the two theories. One is that these fears are all based on evolution. Now, this is something that we're learning more and more about, but the things that we fear, the feelings that we have, and the way we react to situations are not necessarily either nature or nurture, but purely evolutionary. So it's not our specific parents who brought this into us. It is 200,000 years of human history that made us And millions of years of pre-human history before that. Mm -hmm. And then also, though, there is evidence that we can literally inherit certain things from our parents, including fears. Huh. I can't get into the science of that. I don't understand it. But And a lot of that is a combination of nature and nurture. I wonder if I've inherited fears of extinct animals from my relatives from like way back in the past. 
Well, that's actually... Like, if I saw a saber-toothed tiger, I might flip out. I don't think that's a fear of an extinct animal so much as it's a fear of something that shouldn't exist. The prevailing theory is that these fears are all based on evolution. The earliest fossils of modern humans are from around 200,000 years ago, so we've had 200,000 years to figure out what things are reasonable to fear. The dark is when nocturnal animals come to get you. Since humans are diurnal, which means we are awake during the day, and animals are not, well, not all animals, obviously, but a lot of predators are nocturnal, meaning they come out at night, we are especially vulnerable at night because we are not alert. It's also at a time when if you had a beef with a rival tribe, they would most likely sleep on, uh, sneak up on you because they assume that you are sleeping. Not So we have this evolutionary belief that the dark is our most vulnerable time. Additionally, not knowing what a dark spot you can see is, something that's darker than the other dark, makes you extra alert to that spot. So you see this extra dark spot in your closet or wherever, you start focusing more on that spot, it turns into something scary. Because your brain goes, there's something blocking the only light that's there, it must be a predator of some sort. When really it's just the basket full of laundry that you need to do that you haven't done. Or the cat moved her toy into the hallway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or your wife set up our cardboard cutout of David Tennant in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. You put it in the shower once. I did. So that's the prevailing theory, but there is a secondary one. So like I said, the question I started with was, why are we afraid of the monster specifically? Why a monster and not a lion or an intruder, which evolution would tell us is more likely, which is what you were saying, like the saber-toothed tiger thing. Mm -hmm. We should be afraid of that kind of shit. It's because we tell kids that this is what they're supposed to be afraid of. We don't teach them to be afraid of lions. We teach them to be afraid of monsters through fairy tales, through TV shows, through even innocent movies like Monsters, Inc. We tell them the thing in their closet or under their bed is a monster. So if we are telling them what to be afraid of, are we going to have like a generation of millennials teaching their kids to be afraid of getting um, unsolicited phone calls from strangers? (laughs) I sure hope so. It's like, mom, I had the dream again. It was an unknown caller. An unknown caller. I've actually legitimately had nightmares about getting texts from unknown numbers, but the texts themselves were threatening texts. Oh, okay. So this is not to say your kid wouldn't have this fear of the random thing in the dark if you didn't call it a monster. You're giving it a name and a shape. See, this is why we would be bad parents. Because with this knowledge, it's like, okay, watch out. There could be a golf club in there coming to get you. Well, my thing is, I legitimately believe in ghosts and shit. So it can be like, mom, there's a monster in my closet. Like, damn right there is. Of course there is. Just, I don't know. Oh, good. You've you've seen the monster. Here's a digital recorder and and an electromagnetic meter. Go and try to make contact with it. If you do... We are going to be rich. (laughs) So basically, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent if your kid sees Monsters, Inc. and says suddenly that there are monsters in their closet. They have a name for the thing that they fear now. Now, that does go into the psychological theory that things don't exist for you until you have a name for them. Kind of like, let's give it something very existential. White privilege doesn't exist for white people mentally. It does exist. But they don't, until they have a name for what it is, they don't realize it exists. Oh, and also until very specific instances are pointed out to you and you don't realize it. And sometimes you're an adult male who last week was reading the news. It's like, huh, that is yet another white privilege I've benefited from. Mm -hmm. So this fear should stop around five to seven years old. I remember at around age three, I would drag my cats into my bedroom and tell my closet, you monsters can't get me. I have a cat in here. Is that why we have four cats? Honestly, partially, yes, because I do like... Y'all think I'm crazy and now, well, some of you do. Some of you are like, yeah, this makes sense. 
I really do think that cats serve as protection against uh, supernatural forces. I feel like they give me plausible deniability against supernatural forces. Like, if, like, a glass were to fall off of a shelf, it's like, I would just yell at a cat and not assume it was a ghost. But then you realize all four cats are sitting next to you? They're sneaky like that. How how can you blame my doppelganger on the cats? Um, Zumbi was wearing your clothes and leaping through the air. (laughs) Sure. Now, this should stop around ages five to seven. That's not always the case. I was one of those kids, it lasted until I was about nine, which is way longer than it should. So if your kid's fear turns into such a level of irrationality, that's when you should become concerned. You generally shouldn't be concerned about them having a fear. Here's my problem, though. At nine, the monsters turned into real people because I watched the news. And so the news only tells you the bad stuff. So I truly thought that home invaders and murderers were all around me all the time because the news made it seem that way. So when we'd come into the house, I would refuse to go up to my bedroom until one of my parents checked it because I was absolutely sure a murderer was going to be in there. Wow. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't watch the news and my biggest fear at age nine was either sharks or quicksand, which both big dangers here in Kansas. (laughs) Well, and also I'm sure you've noticed that neither of the beds in our house has an under the bed. Oh, yeah. It's because I'm still, I still am uncomfortable with there being an underspace to my bed. I will not sleep with my closet door open. I still have these irrational fears, but they are not phobias. There is a big difference between a fear and a phobia. Fear is normal. I read a lot of articles from parents or about parents feeling like they failed because their kid is afraid. My baby cries constantly when we're not in the room. My seven-year-old is convinced there are monsters in the closet. What do I do? What do I do? I feel like a failure. You're not a failure. These are developmentally normal things. Even if they last a little longer or happen at different times, you're not a failure. Your kid's just a kid. And this is actually showing you that they have benefited from thousands of years of evolution. It's if your kid is not afraid of anything is when you need to be worried. (laughs) And I don't mean normal, like, kid impulsivity. I mean, like, my child seems to fear absolutely nothing, even things that they should be afraid of. What do I do? Get some help. Um, they're probably either a chosen one, prophesized, or something similar. Uh, it could be either great and they're a hero, or super bad and they will cause the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two options. So when does a fear become a phobia? We all have things we're afraid of. It's why we look both ways before we cross the street or when someone doesn't call to check in when they say like, I'm on my way home. If you don't hear from, you should hear from me about 1 a.m. And then they don't call. You get start to get very nervous. You start calling them. Those are just normal fears. Those aren't phobias. Many women report being afraid of me- of men being near them at dark, near them on dark streets. But most of them don't have androphobia, which is the fear of men. We just have learned through evolution and experience that there are scary things and we need to be aware of these scary things. It's normal to be afraid when your friend doesn't call you at 1 a.m. when they should have gotten home, especially if they've been drinking. Yeah, like, you know, I I am a nervous wreck every time I have to, like, do a house repair involving electricity stuff. I am not afraid of electricity. I just have a healthy fear of being shocked. Yes. A phobia is more than a fear. The DSM-5, which is the basically handbook for all mental health issues, set specific criteria for a for anything to be called a phobia. One, the fear is unreasonable, excessive, and triggered by something specific. There are five categories of phobias, though I did see some variation what they were called, and some sites said there were three and blah, 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 but there seem to be five. They tend to boil down to natural environment, so things like fear of trees, which is real. Animals, the most common of which is fear of dogs, which is actually not evolutionary, but based on something that happened to you. Fear of injury, which includes medical situations like dentophobia, 
which is fear of visiting the dentist or anything else medical related. Um, situations like being in small spaces and then basically just a kind of catch all very, it's very specific phobia, like a phobia of vomiting or a phobia of loud noises. Not a specific loud noise, just loud noises. Two, they cause an immediate and disproportionate reaction. Three, people go out of their way to avoid the thing that causes the fear. Four, it impacts their ability to live a normal life. Five, it lasts at least six months. That's actually important. Most mental health issues have a time set on them. You have to be experiencing this for a certain amount of time for it to be labeled as a disorder. So anxiety is another example. And a phobia is a type of anxiety disorder. You have to experience it for a certain number of months before they will call it a disorder and not just kind of a phase. Everybody goes through anxious phases. Not everybody who goes through anxious phases has an anxiety disorder. And then six, it's not caused by another disorder. So phobias are a type of anxiety disorder. All other disorders, including but not limited to other anxiety disorders, have to be ruled out before a phobia can be diagnosed. Okay. An interesting thing, before the current DSM, the DSM-5, adults had to be aware that their fear was irrational for them to be diagnosed. That is no longer the case. Oh, uh, not caused by another disorder also includes um, um, intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, things like that. Okay. That's no longer the case. So I'm curious to know how they are able to separate a phobia diagnosis from other diagnoses if that person can't tell their reaction is not logical. That's a catch-22. Yeah, I can't figure this out and I couldn't find any resources to help me figure this out. So like I have a legitimate phobia of moths. Austin can attest to this. Oh my, like, I will have to, like, if she sees a moth, I have to, she will hide under the covers. Crying. Crying until I've gotten rid of the moth. And it has to be like, like, not just dead, but out of the room. Yes. And I have to spend a while reassuring her that the moth is gone. I make him look for additional moths. Yep. If we're outside and there are moths, I cross the street. Like, I'm not going to bother them outside. That's their area. But they're in my house. Someone has to kill them because they're clearly here to kill me. I don't know. Mothman, on the other hand, is my real love. Phobias are largely misunderstood and are thrown around like the word means nothing. Kind of like triggered, which is an actual medical term for the cause of an anxiety, PTSD, or phobic reaction. Or OCD. Oh my god, I'm so OCD because I washed my hands for a minute. No. It's like, oh my god, I'm so OCD. I have to have all of my pens back in the pen container. Yeah. Shit like that delegitimizes people's legitimate mental health issues. Because if you're constantly saying, I'm so OCD, I'm so OCD, people start to think that OCD is a joke. And then somebody's trying to explain to you, I have these symptoms of OCD and I'm starting to get scared. They'll tell you you're overreacting or whatever the case may be. People claim phobias to even shame others on the internet, like a pregnant woman posting a picture in a group unrelated to pregnancy getting virtually screamed at for having the audacity to trigger the supposed tocophobia these people fear have. Tocophobia is fear of pregnancy, but more specifically childbirth. People with tocophobia, and I researched this, do not typically seem to be afraid of pregnant women. Tocophobia is more specifically the fear of childbirth with the fear of pregnancy being an extension thereof because child pregnancy leads childbirth. And it is significantly more common around among people who are already pregnant because of what they know is coming than it is among the general population. 
In cases of tocophobia among non-pregnant people, it tends to be why they just decide to never have kids or delay it as long as possible. It is not they go into a grocery store and start screaming at pregnant women for having the audacity to be outside. Or there's that big internet trend a couple of years ago where every time like people are talking about their, I can't remember what the phobia was. It was like the one with the holes. The one with the holes. Mm-hmm. That's like, I was like, oh my gosh. And it's like this phobia. It's real. Oh, you triggered it. Yeah. There's a big difference between a phobia and a discomfort. A lot mm-hmm. of people are made incredibly uncomfortable by the, by small holes. I'm one of them. I see that yeah. like those things and I'm like, oh, there's, and it's because there could be something in there. And I think that's the case for most people, but something making you feel icky and having a phobia Different things. Mm -hmm. And you are delegitimizing actual mental health issues when you claim a phobia. So, like, I've seen pictures of moths posted on Facebook. Like, especially ones from Australia that, of course, are 20 feet long and they're with guns and knives and little bowler hats and they're killing you. Like the Atlas moth that we have Mm -hmm. around here? Shut the fuck up. Shut the actual fuck up. The one that carries off sheep and children? Yes. Shut the fuck up. There are also venomous moths, and it, there aren't venomous butterflies. There aren't? I don't think so. Don't tell me if there are, because I'm no. okay with butterflies for the most part. They're less unpredictable. I mean, I'm, I'll just say it now. There is probably a venomous butterfly in the Amazon or Australia. Mm, probably, but that's not here. Yep, not here. Um, It's like, when I see a picture of a moth on Facebook, I don't go on there and scream at the person for posting a picture of a moth. They did not do it to hurt me. My mental health is my responsibility, It is not my place to make somebody else feel bad for sharing something they found interesting or important. Now, if they're sharing something that's hurtful or hateful, absolutely report that shit and call them out. But if they're just like, look at this cool moth, I scroll by, have my little panic attack, (laughs) but it's not their fault. Now, I'd be remiss in this if I didn't talk about transphobia and homophobia. No, most people who are transphobic, homophobic, etc. do not have a phobia of LGBTQ plus people. They don't, which means they don't have an irrational fear of them, though they might exhibit things like avoidance. I would definitely say there is a lot of irrationality there. Oh, yeah. Homophobia was originally coined by psychologist George Weinberg in the 1960s, meaning, quote, a fear of homosexuals, which seemed to be associated with a fear of contagion, a fear of reducing the things one fought for, home and family. It was a religious fear, and it has led to great brutality, as fear always does, unquote. So you'll notice even in his definition, he doesn't use the any of the even then defining traits of phobia. It's kind of more of a convenient way to phrase this thing. Other sources referred to it as more of a, the contagion thing. Straight men being afraid that having a relationship, a friend's relationship, or admiring in any way a gay man meant they were gay. It is a, it was actually originally directed towards inward and then exploded outward. Homophobia and transphobia generally do not meet the DSM definition of phobias. That said, these are legitimate terms, although slightly problematic at the same time, because it also makes it confusing when you're talking about actual other phobias. It's worth noting that Weinberg, who coined the term, wrote a book in 1972 called Society and the Healthy Homosexual, arguing that homophobia was the sickness, homosexuality was not. Basically meaning you are the problem if you are against homosexual people. Because remember, this is before they had a full understanding of the spectrum of um, gender and sexuality. Uh, At that point, the DSM still defined homosexuality as a mental illness. So he was ahead of the curve saying, I used science 
to show that it's A, not a mental illness, and B, the mental problem lies, lies with the other people in society. It was removed from the DSM the next year. I'm sure there are people out there that'll be like, well, Weinberg must have been gay, so he's arguing for his people. No, he was married to a woman and there is no sign that he was gay. He just used science. I don't know. I This is America. Using science sounds kind of gay. <sighs> he is being satirical. Yes. I, <laughs> I hoped I threw enough sarcasm on that one for everyone to get it, but yeah. So transphobia, homophobia are not tra- phobias in the traditional sense, except for perhaps a very limited population because anything can be the cause of a phobia. Like you could see a water bottle and be and have a phobia. They're simply convenient words with homophobia being coined by someone who was on the side of the LGBTQ plus community. So him being on their side and using society to back them up, the community adopted this word and then later adopted transphobia because they are valid terms. Now, there was another phrase for it, which was homosexual panic, which might be a little more accurate for what we're describing, but it's just a lot to say. And plus, homosexual panic sounds like a great name for a bar or a club. Or a band. Ooh, yeah. So getting back to phobias in the traditional sense, I'm going to talk about briefly five of the most common phobias. Okay. One, of course, is arachnophobia. (gasps) Fear of spiders. Spiders and any other arachnid. This goes back to our perfectly normal fears from childhood that were biologically ingrained in us as arachnids did pose a threat historically. Not because the majority of arachnids were venomous, but because they didn't have the knowledge to tell which ones were and which ones were not or how to treat the bites from them. There are about 35,000 species of arachnids and only about 12, not 1,200, not 12,000, one, two, are actually in any way dangerous to humans and most of them live in australia oh good for australia (laughs) it's like honestly we were watching a video of them putting out or what it looks like to put out fire from a plane and i was like see that's why they couldn't in australia because the animals would just attack the plane yes um aphidophobia which is fear of snakes for the exact same reasons most snakes cannot hurt a human but we didn't know which ones could and which one couldn't The reason that these types of fears, though, are believed to be more common than bigger threats like bears, bear phobia, not common. It's because we see arachnids and snakes more often. And it's like, it's also easier to see a bear from further away than it is to see a snake or a spider. A spider Mm -hmm. can be anywhere at Mm -hmm. any time. Now, I don't like spiders. I have called Austin to kill them for me before. I've, um, I got an email at work to come from my side of the building all the way to the other so I could get a spider out. (laughs) But yeah, because we see them more often, it seems like the threat is greater. Because if there are more of them, that means there must be more of a danger. Although exposure therapy is also a valid form of therapy. Um, Acrophobia, which is fear of heights, impacts about 6% of the population, myself included. Austin has never been to a high place with me. Um, Um, I've... I've been with you like in the, in a car as we were like going across a bridge or. Yes. Anything that's not enclosed and is high up, I start to have, uh, I, I hyperventilate and have panic attacks. If we're in a fully open space, I will end up on the ground holding onto the shirts of the people next to me so that they can, know, they also cannot fall over the edge. Do not recommend. Again, evolution of course is involved, but for some people this also is the result of a, an event in their childhood. And a, any one of these can be based on a previous event. Uh, trypanophobia, which is fear of injections. So shots. Yeah. Not addressing this fear, meaning you realize that you're that afraid of needles, not going and getting mental help for it can result in overall health dangers since people avoid medical care out of fear of being told they have to get a shot. 
So they're not getting their vaccines. They're not going to the doctor when they have the flu. They're not going to the doctor if they have a broken bone because they're afraid they're going to have to get a shot. That's how pervasive this fear is. And of course, agoraphobia. This is another one that's commonly misunderstood. If you hear agoraphobia, you're like, oh, that's a person who never leaves their house. That does happen. There are people who never leave their house, but it is actually just a fear of being alone in a place that you can't easily escape. Usually someplace that is crowded and not your home. So about one third of people with panic disorder develop this phobia, which is another one that's kind of interesting because panic disorder is technically causing the phobia, but it's a separate diagnosis. I don't, I don't know. And two thirds of people with agoraphobia, we associate this with neckbeards. Two thirds of them are women. Huh. Two thirds of agoraphobic people. And I have a feeling that boils down to the fact that the world statistically is a greater threat to women than it is to men. It is usually triggered initially by a panic attack that happens in public and then a fear that it will happen again. So you avoid going out to crowded spaces because you're afraid that this panic attack will happen again. So how do you treat a phobia? Phobias are often treated with a combination of medications such as antidepressants and benzos and therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically talk therapy, but with a focus on your specific phobia and how to reframe your thinking and create coping mechanisms. And exposure therapy, where you are exposed to your phobia in a safe manner. So it's not, oh, you're afraid of flying, go get on a plane. It's, you're afraid of flying, let's talk to the airport and see if you can get on a plane and walk around. That kind of thing. Yeah. So basically my um, treating people's phobia of snakes by throwing spaghetti at them is not good. Spaghetti the snake, not spaghetti the noodle. No, spaghetti the noodle. I'm not going to risk our poor precious baby spaghetti, our snake, I just throw noodles at them and say, snakes! It's like that meme we saw yesterday where Captain America, or it was Captain America, right? Supposedly predicted coronavirus because in the background there was a picture of a corona beer and what looked like a coronavirus cell, but it was actually just a picture of spaghetti. Yep. So whenever somebody starts using conspiracy theories from now on, we're just going to say, it's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. Then I throw spaghetti at them and yell, snakes! Some people use alternative treatments like hypnotherapy or herbal remedies. Now, hypnotherapy should be done by a professional psychologist who is trained in this, not the guy at the magic show. And herbal remedies probably won't hurt you, but their ability to help you is generally not medically confirmed. But if it makes you feel better and it's not something dangerous, go ahead. And homeopathy, which typically involves using small amounts of toxins. Doctors say don't do this. Herbalists say don't do this. Maddie and Austin say don't do this. Is that homeopathy is the very definition of junk science. Yeah, it is legitimately dangerous for you. So if it's something that has poison on the label, don't drink it. So I considered getting into the difference between anxiety, phobia, and fear, but that's a whole other longer discussion. Cliff's Notes version, or I guess the Spark Notes version, as they'd say now, because nobody knows what Cliff's Notes are anymore. If you are experiencing nervousness, stress over fear or fear over a long term with or without a trigger, it might be an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is normal. We all feel it from time to time. It should go away shortly after the thing that was causing it stops. If it does not go away or if it keeps coming back or if it doesn't have a known trigger, go get some help. Could be an anxiety disorder. And don't forget, phobia is a type of anxiety disorder, right? Okay. So that is fears versus phobias. Fears are natural and short-term and do not impede with your life. Phobias are something you need to get checked out because they impede with your life. Well, I'm surprised, like, chlor- uh, 
Chlorophobia, the fear of clowns? Uh, I didn't look into that one. I know, I'm surprised the fear of clowns and claustrophobia didn't make it on the top five list. Um, well, those aren't the top five. Those are five of the top. Five of the um, top. But neither one of those was on the list. Other ones that were on there were, like, the fear of needles and fear of dogs, uh, which the fear yeah. of dogs actually has very little to no evolutionary basis. It is, you had a bad experience. Um, yeah, so yeah. those are five of the top. Wow. Fear of moths was shockingly moths. not on there. I, I love I love reading those lists you see online every once in a while of like the weird phobias, like people who are afraid of wet newspaper or mm-hmm. people who are afraid of the number thirteen. Uh, Triscidecophobia. Uh, Triscidecophobia. Fear of triscuits. Yep. Fear of triscuits playing cards. Fear of triscuits. Triscuits are chips or uh, crackers. Oh, triscidecophobia. Oh, ah. Are you ready for your questions? I am ready for my questions, and so is Draco. All right. Will this be on the test? Fear is actually normal and a sign of healthy development. That absolutely should be on the test because that means if you're afraid, you don't have to be, well, you'll still be afraid, but it's normal to be afraid. Yeah, you don't have to be afraid of being afraid because that can actually lead to anxiety disorders is feeling like like your fear is in some way wrong. A huge chunk of toxic masculinity is not being able to admit being afraid of stuff. Mm-hmm. Fear is normal. Fear is healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it keeps you from running into a burning building. Yeah. Babies can experience fear starting around the time of birth. Yes, that'll be on the test. I sure would hope so, but I also feel like it might make expectant parents very nervous. Babies are just afraid of shit. Yeah, and that's fine. Phobias are caused by specific triggers, but those triggers can include literally anything. No, because... That's just, that. I feel like that would make some people more afraid, but also we don't want to, like, it's like, so triggers exist, and they're everywhere, all the time. That's not something that would be on the test. Homophobia was termed by someone who actually used science to argue that homophobia is a societal disorder, while homosexuality is not a mental disorder. It depends on the state. Yeah. And will this be on the test? The fact that it is highly problematic to throw around words like phobia and triggered as they delegitimize the real things. That will not be on the test because I feel like some other teacher will see this and be triggered and you will be fired. Yeah, ugh. It drives me bananas seeing that. Like, there are things people are overly sensitive to or have an over-the-top reaction to, but that doesn't mean it's an actual psychological trigger. It just means that this person, it could just be that they're having a bad day or that it's the 30th time that day they've had to explain what Black Lives Matter means is to somebody. So that's not triggered, that's frustrated. Yeah. Triggered is when you actually have a mental disorder of some kind triggered by a stimulus. So that's the difference between phobias and fears. And I think we should learn that in school because kids don't understand that it's okay to be afraid of things. So they have to act brave. And they also aren't taught when it's not, when when your feelings need to be checked into. Mm -hmm. We teach kids a lot to sit down and shut up. And we shouldn't be doing that. Just like, you know, phobias and anxiety disorders, they're not quote unquote normal. Meaning you should be allowed to say something doesn't feel normal. Something doesn't feel right. I need help. And we, by not explaining the difference between fear, phobia, anxiety, depression, etc., are setting kids up for failure. So that's why we need to teach it in schools. Yes. Yes, we do. Well, I mean, we just need to teach more like self-care mental health stuff in schools in general. Yeah, it was not included in any part of our mental health class. We learned about schizophrenia. I remember that. Yeah, schizophrenia. Drug abuse. Drug abuse. And that was it. Yeah. Like, they might have touched a little bit upon anxiety and depression, but they also didn't tell you how to advocate for yourself. Nope. Oh, dude, did you hear about the 
big ass scandal that's happening with do something.org, which is what they are using, like what they're telling kids to contact when they need help and stuff. No, tell me about this. So do something.org runs the crisis helpline, which is also the other you're supposed to text when you're having a crisis. Both of these organizations at their core are good organizations with good intentions. The person who founded the crisis text line and is now, I believe, if I understood it, she works for do something, turns out had for since the beginning created a culture of abject racism in her office. Oh, no. And so there was a hashtag going around Twitter of not my crisis crisis line, not my crisis text line, something like that, with employees and former employees and volunteers sharing what they had dealt with under her. And then the CEO of either Do Something or Crisis, I can't remember which one, came out and she was like, yes, I should have helped more, blah, blah, blah. And people were responding, remember the time you specifically said this to me? (laughs) Why why does the world have to be this awful? No, and that's the thing is even the people who experienced this, the volunteers, the employees are saying, don't stop using this. Like, continue coming to us. 99.9% of us didn't speak up because we were afraid of these specific people and we believed in helping you. We are still here to help you. We have not disappeared. Do not leave. If you need help, find us. That's great. It's just not great that people were getting fired when they would say things like, hey, calling me that is racist. Yeah, that's... Uh... So she got fired, The that one, and there's some arguing for firing the other one. And then some former managers came out and were like, yeah, I was fired for telling them not to do that. So like, it's bananas. Look into it. But yeah, so get help. Find a place where you feel safe getting help. It can be an actual mental health professional, and ideally in the end it would be. But find an adult. Like if you're a kid... Find an adult that you trust because your peers, they're great. Your your friends are great listeners. Your friends will be there for you for the most part. They don't have the resources or the know-how to get you help. The adults, especially the mandatory reporters in your life, which includes teachers and medical professionals, they have the resources. Don't be afraid of them. Like I had so many times where it, it was hard to have these conversations with my with my students, but I was so glad they would come to me because I wanted to help them. And that's true. Even if it's your family causing the problem, go find help. Someone will help you. Yeah. And, even and if they don't find a fuck someone else because they do not represent everybody. Yeah. And even them. even you can even go into your local library. They won't be able to help you with this stuff, but they can get you in contact with some great resources. Yeah. Uh, librarians are not mandated reporters, at least not in Kansas. I don't know about else, elsewhere, but they know people. Yep. Like chances are they have social workers who come into the library several times a week, not working the library, but working with people. There might be one in the building right then that they could call over. They might be able to give you phone numbers. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely give you phone numbers. We can find you books. We can find you websites. We can find you text lines. We can help you in any way we can. Yeah. We'll find something for you. There are a lot more people out there who are here for you than you'd imagine. Yeah. Most, even with everything going on in the world, I believe that, and I'm going to, this is actually something from Ian Frank, but I believe most people are truly good, or at least trying to be. Yeah. So what is something you learned? I learned that uh, phobias and fears are different from each other, and it's really complicated. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. And also, like, the definition of phobia is way more stringent than I thought it was. Yes. What did you learn today? I learned that Juneteenth was two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. But even more so, even more importantly, I learned that the Emancipation... The Emancipation? The the EP didn't free everybody like we were told it did. Yeah. Like, they completely left that out. And I learned the Civil War 
four fucking years and no one mentioned that. I feel like American history class is we skip so much to go into these colossal Civil War deep dives. I guarantee you I've seen that stupid Ken Burns documentary more than once in class. And yet we don't learn this. And you know what the funny thing is? I bet it's mentioned in the Ken Burns documentary, but by the time you get to that, the kids have completely zoned out. Yeah, um, His was... documentaries are excellent, but not age appropriate in the sense that they do not speak to young people's attention spans. Um, fifth grade Austin was in a desk near the window. <laughs> and as a result, I was reading Animorph books the entire time I should have been watching these videos. I've never read an Animorphs book. Oh, I love the Animorphs. Well, where can people find us? Well, they can find us online at On The Test Pod on Twitter, at On The Test Pod on Instagram, at Facebook.com slash On The Test Pod, and of course, through our web- website, OnTheTestPod.com. Yep. And we're a little more active on Twitter than we are anywhere else, especially, I keep forgetting we have an Instagram. Oh, it's but like- if you want to see pictures of our cats, that's where they usually are. So if you really want to chat with us, come find us on the Twitter, but... I think we'd be more active on Facebook if people asked us stuff on there more. So if you want to be on the Facebook, come join us there too. And please, 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 if you're listening and you enjoy us, give us a rating and review on the iTunes or if your other podcasting platform gives you the option, do that. If you hate us, please don't because that doesn't help anybody. And if you hate us, why are you listening to this point of this episode? Mm -hmm. I mean, you should have given up an hour ago. And if you enjoy us, please tell a friend, tell them to listen to us. We are on every major podcast prop. Pro, uh, at podcast platform and a lot of the minor ones now too yeah. so if they have a podcast app chances are they can listen to us yeah and of course you know it's that time of year where well normally people will be going on road trips or traveling and you could just inflict us upon other people in your car mm-hmm. it's also though without that happening that time of year people are out mowing their lawns or going on long walks and while you should wear ear protection while mowing your lawn you can have earbuds underneath your noise-canceling headphones. Also, wear good shoes while you're mowing your lawn. You don't want to mess up your feet. Yep. Also, don't wear open-toed shoes because you could lose a toe. That's what I meant. Oh, thanks. Good, okay. Good shoes. Good shoes. Safe shoes. Safe shoes. Not your, like, Manola Blahniks. Yeah. Um, That's I've not been, what I mean by good shoes. Uh, I've been mowing the lawn wearing uh, Louis Vuittons every time. <laughs> the stilettos really dig deep into the turf. It helps aerate everything. I legitimately don't know if Vuitton makes shoes. I'm pretty sure they do. I have no idea. I... I don't think I could walk past a Vuitton store without going bankrupt. Yeah. And I don't mean because I'd make purchases. I mean because somehow all of the money I have would disappear. I did at one point own a coach bag, but it was from a a coach outlet. And (gasps) I love that bag. Actually, no, I I still own it. I finally managed to get the paint off of it because the way I live my life, paint ends up on everything. I remember, like, she'd come home from working on sets. And she'd be covered in paint. It's like, didn't you just buy these clothes? Oh, oh yeah. It's like, couldn't you have just worn the clothes you wore last year when you got paint on them? Huh. Well, usually I didn't know I'd end up painting that much that day. (laughs) So I would end up covered in paint and it wasn't great. But it's also kind of how I got past the rules about, you know, not wearing jeans any day but Friday and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, like, that'd be like asking the art teacher to dress in very nice clothes every day. It just doesn't make sense. Or like, it's like, why is it, uh, the gym teacher doesn't have to wear all this nice clothes all the time. Yeah, they don't even have to like wear a collared shirt with their track pants. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense for their position. Now, granted, I actually once worked at a school where they strongly suggested all of the women wear skirts. And I'm like, evidence shows that you need to be getting in it with your students. 
And so if you're expecting your kids to do something sitting on the floor, you need to be sitting on the floor. They also insisted that we not wear sneakers, which not great for you having health problems. You had to bring in a doctor's note to wear sneakers. In every conversation I've had with students and most with parents, the response to any dress code for teachers has been, that's stupid. We respect you if you respect us. Like I could show up in jeans and a hoodie every day and it would not have made my kids feel worse about me than if I'd shown up in a suit every day. In fact, if anything, a suit might have made them uncomfortable because they're like, that just sends off authority figure, authority figure, authority figure, not someone who will listen. And I feel like if you were showing up every day in sweatpants and Crocs, maybe they'd respect you less. No, I don't think so. Just a lot of them wore that. Ooh, what about if you were wearing goth Crocs, which are Crocs with metal spikes on them? That would just really mess up the floor. It would. Well, on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.